we are going to be looking at the book of Galatians, and I am excited about it. This is, a, this is a great thing for us as a church to do, to together look at a book of the Bible and try to understand it deeply and let it kind of sink into our hearts. And that's why we're really hoping that you will have those daily scriptures and read those every day. We would encourage you just to read through the book of Galatians. No, it's it's a short book, six chapters. You could read a chapter a day and have it done in a week, you know, and then the next week read it again. We think as we do that, that God is going to use that in our hearts. So um, maybe we need to have a little intro into the book itself, the book of Galatians. It was, it was a book written by the Apostle Paul, and it was written to the people who lived in Galatia. The strange thing is Galatia is not a city, it's a, it's a province, it's an area. So I think we've got a, a map uh, here that will show you what that looks like. So Galatia is that sort of big area there. And some of the cities in that are talked a lot about in the book of Acts, in the book of Revelation. Those were cities that Paul visited and where he began churches. And it's to those churches then that the Apostle Paul was writing writing this letter. Um, this was probably about A.D. 48 or 49, a few years after Paul had been in those cities, had left, and now he's hearing some things and he's writing a letter kind of in response to what he hears is happening in those uh, cities. Thanks. Uh, if you, in fact, if you'd be interested in sort of hearing about what it was like when Paul went to those cities, that story is found in Acts chapter 13 and 14. So if you get a chance, you might want to look up those two books. Some really interesting things took place there. Sort of a great, almost comic event and an almost tragic event while Paul was there. He'd, um, he'd gone to the city of Lycinia. Uh, and he's traveling with his friend Barnabas, and they had not been there very long when there was a man who had been lame from birth, and Paul healed him. God healed him through Paul. And so the guy gets up, not only he's able to walk, this is an incredibly impressive miracle. And these pagan people who lived in this Roman province of Galatia, they recognize that this is a supernatural thing. And they say, the gods have come down and are among us. And of course, the gods they're thinking about are the Greek gods. And they believed that Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes, two Greek gods. So right out, the, right outside the city, they had a temple to Zeus. So people run to the temple and they tell the, the pagan priest there, the gods have come down among us, Zeus is here. So then this, this pagan priest in this temple to Zeus brings an ox and he brings... Uh, floral wreaths and things, and they're going to present sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. Well, you can imagine how Paul and Barnabas are reacting. They actually tore their robes. They're saying, we're not, wait, you misunderstand. We're not gods. You know, we're people just like you. Please get up. Don't worship us. Kind of thing. And in fact, he gives them a good opportunity then to talk about who they are and who God really is. And it's sort of the open door that God uses for them to be able to share the gospel with the people there. So you would think maybe that the whole experience there in in that area would be positive, but it wasn't. In fact, some Jewish people came 
and really turned the city uh, against Paul and Barnabas. So much so that the people became so angry at Paul because of what he was preaching and teaching that they dragged him outside the city and they, and they stoned him. They tried to kill him, you know, by, by stoning him. And in fact, they thought they had killed him. And, uh, maybe they did. I don't know. So Paul is lying there on the ground outside the city. He's been stoned. The mob goes back into the city and the Christians come out to where Paul is. And it says that they, you know, they stood around him. And it says then Paul got up and went back into the city with them. So was he dead and got brought back to life? Or was he, you know, just miraculously given strength at that point as he's near death? A really interesting time that Paul spends in those cities. So now he's been hearing some things about what's going on in these cities. And so he writes a letter to them in response to that. And I think we need to understand, try to put ourselves sort of in what it would have been like for those early Christians. So here's, here's, a, here's a person in one of these cities, Antioch or Derby, one of those cities, you know. They, Paul comes and they, they hear about Jesus, they become Christians, and then Paul leaves. And so they don't have, you know, a Bible, they don't have a New Testament, they, they don't... Uh, have anything really, you know, to, to go on at that point. And I can just imagine them sort of sitting around or coming together to worship and somebody saying, well, I, you know, I think Paul said that Jesus came back to life after his crucifixion, but surely that was just his spirit, not his body, because that had been destroyed. And then somebody will say, no, no, I think maybe what he meant was that, that, that Jesus' body came back to life. Another one saying, no, but the body was, you know, how do they know they sort of don't have any authority about what to believe? And so because of that, they were really open to false teachers. And in fact, Paul says that some false teachers have come into these cities and teaching them a different gospel. And the basic issue was the basic question for us as well. How is a person saved? What does a person have to believe or to do in order to, to be reconciled to God, to move back into a relationship with God, to have their sins forgiven so they can receive new life and eternal life with God? You know? And so Paul wants to set the record straight. And so in these first two chapters, which are the chapters that I was assigned in this teaching series, one of the things that Paul does is to let them know that his gospel that he has preached the, the truth about Jesus Christ is the truth. And, it, and in order for them to believe that, he says, they've got to believe that I'm really an apostle, that I have been given authority by Jesus Christ, and that the, that the gospel that I preach didn't come from other people, it came from God himself. And so he begins this letter with a lengthy autobiography. He has a lot of the story about how he became a Christian and what he did after he became a Christian so that that will lead them to the conclusion that, yeah, this guy Paul, I guess we really can believe him and what he's teaching. So we're going to be looking specifically at verses 11 through 24 of chapter 1 of Galatians, and I'm going to read them to you now. They're also printed in your bulletin this morning as well as, I think, being on the screen today. So, this is Galatians 1, starting with verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. 
For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to to consult any human being. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. And then, after three years, I went to, up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas. That would be uh, Peter, the disciple, Cephas, and prayed and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. So I assure you before God that what I am writing you is, not a, is no lie. And then I went to Syria and Sicilia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that were in Christ. They only heard the report The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. I want to take a minute and, and really help us to see what Paul's history was and why it was so important for him to people, for people to understand that he was called by Jesus to be an apostle and that Jesus himself gave him the, the true gospel that he was preaching. So let me just be, let me be Paul for a minute, okay? And Paul would have said something like, when I was a young man, I was already a scholar in, in the Torah, the law of God, what you, what you would call the Old Testament. In fact, I was devoting my life to to understanding and teaching and following every law, every bit of the Old Testament. I I was schooled under Gamaliel. He was the number one rabbi teacher. It was sort of like Oxford or Cambridge, you know, for a Jewish young man. And I studied under him to the point where I was confident that I understood the law of God and the way God wanted us to live. In fact, I was so concerned not only just to understand the law of God, but to follow it, I became a Pharisee. And, and I devoted my life to following every bit of what God said in, in the Torah. I mean, would I eat some food that was ceremonially unclean? Never. I would rather starve to death than break that law. Would I violate the law that God said we shouldn't work on the Sabbath? Absolutely not. I wouldn't even brush my teeth on the Sabbath. I was so concerned to follow the law of God. That's why I was so upset when people began to claim that this carpenter from Nazareth up in Galilee was equal to God. I mean, the Bible is so clear that there is only one God. He is the Lord God of Israel. He is just and holy and perfect, and there is no other. And for them to make that kind of claim that this Jesus, the Nazarene, was equal to God, was the Son of God, that He had come back to life, it was blasphemy. It was blasphemy. And I prayed that God would strike them with lightning. In fact, I was so angry at them. I thought nothing would would do other than for them to be charged with blasphemy and executed. 
Remember, I was in the city of Jerusalem when one of the first Christians who was proclaiming this false truth about God that Jesus was the Messiah was arrested and he was executed. They stoned him there in Jerusalem. And you know what? I smiled as he died. I held the robes of those who were throwing the stones so that it wouldn't interfere with their hurling the stones upon him. That's just how I felt. It's like that wasn't enough. I got permission from the high council of the Jews to go to other cities, to track down Christians, to arrest them, to bring them bound into Jerusalem so that they could suffer the same fate as Stephen did. Almost like I was a different person then. I I was so filled with hatred and anger and self-righteous judgment. Then I met Jesus. I was on my way to Damascus with a contingent of soldiers, and I was trying to figure out how I was going to locate these Christians, how I would track them down and arrest them. And all of a sudden, as we were going, bam, I was hit with this light, this bolt of light that was so strong, it was like like a hundred suns, and it literally knocked me to my knees. I knelt there in fear, not understanding what had happened. And there was this voice, a voice of, of command, but, but not anger, a voice of, of authority, but not judgment. Saul, Saul has said, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you are crucifying and persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. And then the light was gone. But so was my vision. And I was led by the hand into the city of Damascus. And it was there during those next three days as I waited for God to restore my sight that I realized it wasn't that my life was over now. It was that my life was just beginning. I I met Jesus Christ personally. And over those next few days, God assured me that he had called me to an important mission, to open the eyes of the blind who are far from God, to turn the Gentiles from darkness into light, from Satan to God again. So you'd think at that point I might have gone up to Jerusalem and to meet with the the leaders, the pillars of the church there, but I didn't. I knew if I was going to devote my life to this, I had to find out for sure for myself what the truth about Jesus Christ was. So instead, I went to Arabia for three years and then to Damascus. In fact, it it was three years before I even went to Jerusalem. During those three years, I studied and meditated and discerned from God. I listened to his voice as God explained to me the truth about Jesus Christ, that he is, in fact, the eternal son of God, and through faith in him only are we saved and received into God's family. I remember when I went to uh, Jerusalem, well, I was just there for a couple days. I, I met with Peter for a little while. I don't think I met any, well, I met Jesus' half-brother James, and that was all. And then I received that commission from God you know, to go and to share the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, why was it so important to Paul that people understand that truth about himself? 
Paul is building an important case, and we're going to be looking at what, what he teaches during these next three weeks. Paul realizes that already these Galatian Christians are being led astray, and they sort of don't know who to believe or what to believe. And so Paul is trying to make this sort of double point that he is an apostle, just like Peter or Andrew or James or John. Paul would say that in the same way that Jesus walked along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and looked at those fishermen and said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. In exactly the same way, Paul was on his way to to Damascus to arrest Christians and he met Jesus Christ and Jesus said to him, you know, follow me. I've got a mission for you, something for you to accomplish. So if they're trying to figure out what authority to follow, Paul is saying, my credentials are just as good as those pillars of the church in, in uh, Jerusalem. Second thing he wants to say then is that my message about Jesus Christ is just as true as theirs. In the same way that Peter and Andrew and James and John and the other guys, you know, lived with Jesus for three years and heard the things that he taught, tried to understand the things that Jesus was saying to them about God and about himself and about people, Paul would say, the exact same thing happened to me. Jesus Christ himself called me. I heard his voice. And the message that I proclaim, the truth about Jesus, I received from Jesus himself Therefore, you Galatian Christians, you know, you need to accept as true and coming from God the gospel message that I proclaim to you. You see, in those days, there was a difficult issue that they were facing. Remember, Jesus was Jewish, and all of his disciples were Jewish, and all of those first Christians were Jewish. And there was a strong feeling among some that therefore, in order to become a Christian, you had to first become a Jew. That Judaism was the door through which a person entered into a relationship with God. Oh yes, you need to believe in Jesus Christ, but that comes after you begin to keep the Jewish law. I, you know, I love the Old Testament, and I believe so strongly that it is imperative for us as Christians to understand the Old Testament and the law of God. I believe it's only in that context, really, that we can understand some of the most basic and important truths about Christianity. How else do we understand Jesus being pointed out as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? unless we understand the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. How do we understand his death on the cross if we don't have that you know, history of God's revealing himself year after year, generation after generation through the Old Testament? But the problem was that some people were saying, therefore it means you are still bound to keep all of those Old Testament laws, to follow those, those laws obediently as much as, as a Pharisee would have in Jesus' own day. So Paul is asking two questions that I think we've got to answer today as well. And the first one is this. What is the gospel? How is a person saved? And that's really the theme of this book of Galatians. And the teachers in these next three weeks are going to be stressing that really hard. And the point they're going to be trying to make, and that I want to make sure we understand today, is that we are saved only through faith in Jesus Christ. It's by the grace of God through faith. I've been crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Interestingly enough, that becomes pretty significant today because there has really been kind of a resurgence of interest in in Christian Judaism, in fact, in a very dangerous way. And I want to warn you about that because there there are groups, you know, even in the, in the Cedar Valley who would say the very thing that these false teachers were saying to the churches in Galatia in Paul's day. They're saying that same thing, that the way to receive God's approval, the way to, to honor God is through the keeping of the Old Testament law. And that Paul was wrong when he said that we didn't have to follow those anymore. That from the beginning, when Christians began to establish a new way of, of worshiping and relating to God, they would say they were wrong in that. And you still need to be worshiping God on the Sabbath day, the seventh day. That's what the Old Testament teaches. You still need to keep the Old Testament Jewish holidays. You need to get rid of these New Testament Christian holidays like Christmas and Easter and follow the Old Testament ways. And so you're going to have to ask yourself, do I really believe Paul? Do I really believe it when he says that there's nothing I can bring to God that's going to make me acceptable? There's nothing I can do that will make God love me more. There's nothing I will ever do that will make God love me less. You know, It's by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone that I'm saved. Second question we need to ask ourselves that Paul asks is then, so are we trying to please men or are we trying to please God? Paul says, you know, from the gospel I'm preaching, I hope it's clear to you that I'm just trying to be honest to the message that God has given to me. And I've got to confess to you that I think this is a a, a serious temptation that I, at least, and I would guess the other teachers, you know, also face today. It is really tempting not just to try to present the truth of the Bible in a way that people can understand and appreciate, but maybe even to water it down, maybe even to just nudge it a little bit so it'll be a little less offensive to people, rub them a little less the wrong way. And that's where your job comes in. I think your job is to hold us as teachers, accountable to the word of God and that you need to be very alert because in the same way that there were false teachers then, there are false teachers today. And the question remains for us as well. You know, Are we being sure that we're pleasing God and not trying to please other people? Our church is a church that is ruled by a board of elders and these elders are responsible for the teachings in the church They are the ones who are to hold us accountable as teachers to see that what we are teaching is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I just wonder, are any of our current elders um, in this service, you know, with seven different services on Sunday morning, there might not be any, any uh, any of our elders here, stand up for a minute if, if you're one of our elders. Okay, these are the guys and gals you know, who have that responsibility. And if you have a question about what we're teaching, you need to go to them. 
And you need to ask them about it. And they need to ask us as teachers about it. And one of the ways you can support us as a church is by prayerfully supporting this leadership board composed of men and women like like Mary Beth and uh, like Austin and like Kurt. So you guys can sit down. Thanks. So I think maybe a good way for us to kind of close today would be to pray for them and the others who are in leadership here and pray that God would, during these next few weeks, really lead us deeply into the truth that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church, is the churches in Galatia 2,000 years ago. So pray with me, please. Uh, Lord God, boy, there are a lot of, I believe there are a lot of false teachers today and a lot of claims made that just don't mesh with, with your word, the Bible. And so, you know, I pray for myself and for the other teachers that we would faithfully teach the word of God without compromise, without distortion, without omission. I pray for those women and men that you have placed in authority over us as a church. I believe that you have called them to that ministry. And I pray that they would be diligent you know, in, uh, in scrutinizing what we teach and the way we practice our Christian life and to, uh, to hold us true to the Word of God. And I would pray that each one of us, Lord, would make the Bible a priority in our lives and that this next month, as we lead up to, to Easter Sunday especially, that the power of your word would just soak into our hearts and into our lives and we'd be drawn closer to you and we'd be more confident in the truth of Christianity you know, by which our lives, just like the life of the Apostle Paul, are changed and brought into relationship with you. And our hope is that through us, you know, we might do the same thing that the Apostle Paul was called to do, you know, to faithfully proclaim the Word of God, to, to open the eyes of the blind, to lead them from darkness into light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in His name that we pray.